Got time for a quick story. I have seen a few pop slash rock acts in my life. Not a ton. I'm not a big concert goer, but I've made a point to see some of my favorite acts. The, the cream of the crop for me, of course, is going to be like the Beatles, so I've seen Paul McCartney. Genesis, I've never seen a Genesis show, but I've seen Phil Collins. I've seen Mike and the Mechanics. Duran Duran, I've seen them a few times. Not too many other acts have I seen. But of those, Alan Hewitt has worked with two of them. The Moody Blues were part of the first concert, big pop rock concert I ever saw. It was in La Crosse, Wisconsin in June of 1992 when they were touring with Chicago. Earth, Wind, and Fire I've seen a couple times in the Twin Cities, including when they were performing with Chicago. Not at the moments that I saw... And those were in the 2010s, the Earth, Wind, and Fire concerts. Neither time was, was Alan Hewitt working with those bands, but he has worked with them throughout his career. In fact, he's been associated with the Moody Blues going back about a decade from the time of this interview, which is being done in April of 2021. In addition to those projects, he's done a whole lot of other music, and we're going to talk about a whole lot of that today. I get to talk to Alan Hewitt, especially about his current project, Alan Hewitt and One Nation. A couple songs are already out from this project. We're One Nation and One Step Closer. And have a new album coming out later this year in 2021. The album is called 2021. And Alan Hewitt has played with a whole lot of um, a whole lot of legendary acts. Funny that I, I see the acts, and I'm like, okay, favorite, favorite, um, especially my mom is a big Moody Blues and Earth, Wind & Fire fan. Like, that's like top five bands <laughs> for her, with, with up with the Beatles. I'm like, Great. oh, okay, this is right up our alley here. So, um, you've got the, but we'll, I want to start with the One Nation project coming up. So the album is called, correct me if I'm wrong, it's 2021, and it's coming later this year? Yes, uh-huh. Okay. Probably late summer. Okay. So far, I've had a couple songs off that We're One Nation and One Step Closer. How did the, what was the genesis of this particular project? Well, actually, it started with that uh, One Step Closer, that song, and um, we, we kind of felt, oh, we're on to something here. So um, we continued and did, a, did a, uh, a live virtual, well, we played in Cruise, on Cruise to the Edge, which was a, uh, you know, with Yes and um kansas and bands like that uh and um that went really well and things just grew from there that was in 219 i think and uh and then we did a couple uh, during the covid thing we did some uh virtual concerts uh where we got together and played and so the so the project's just grown and grown and and we just uh, all really like playing together. There's really great chemistry, and so that's why it's uh, continuing. When I heard the beginning chords in We're One Nation, I was getting Genesis flashbacks. I'm a huge Genesis fan. Like, I've got all the albums. One, one of those kind of fans. So, like, prog era, for sure. And Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that, yeah. that's 
that's the good ears. Yeah, that was the the trigger between some of the some of the chords and then your your synth parts. I'm like, okay, now we're getting into like selling England by the pound era. Tony Banks, you're like, okay, wow, this is this is something. What? Okay, with all of the influences that you've talked about over time in in your interviews. What was influencing you on, on like that particular song on one step closer and the other material? What what was driving your creative force for this project? Well, probably like you, you know, all those bands like that, the English prog groups and stuff I grew up with, and also the jazz fusion groups like Chick Corea and uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra and groups like that. They're all big influences on me. So. Obviously, that stuff is going to come out um, with all the other things that I've worked on um, <laughs> as well. Um, so, so basically, it's kind of a, a melting pot of all those those different influences, and um, and that's where I wanted to go with with uh, with Alan Hewitt and One Nation. You know, we we wanted to make this. You know, it's a musician's band and, and people that really like, you know, a little bit more sophisticated music. And the skill is strong in this band. You could de- definitely tell. I mean, just look at the resumes, but then just just watch the performances. How much did the other three guys contribute to the, the creation of these songs? A lot, actually, because I write them, you know, I write them and get arranged and then I record, um, you know, all the parts on there, but what happens is when the guys add their stuff, it just brings it to a new level um, because obviously my guitar skills are limited and <laughs> my drumming skills are limited. And now, because I, even though I used to be a drummer and uh, I don't do bass at all. So, so when the guys put their stuff on, um, it just, it just makes it, brings it all to life. And, uh, and it's, it's been really fun to do that too. How did you um how how did you decide to put together this band in in the first place? I mean, going going back o- over time to go. Okay, you could you've done solo work. Obviously, you've had several solo albums, but to go. Okay, I want to have my own band per se. Not a lot of our artists will do that. They'll have like their own solo project, then they're in a band or they're in another collaboration. But to have you and a band. Well, that's the thing, and I've always always been in a band or had a band um and even though i play with the moody blues and and i'm also a music director for john lodge from the moody blues um and actually duffy king and billy ashbaugh are members you know the members of the one nation are also we are john lodge's uh mm-hmm. rhythm section band too with the addition of a cello player um from detroit and um, so, so that's that's kind of how that worked. And the, and then the thing having the band um, because we want to tour and go out and play this stuff because it's so fun to play. Um, that's that's really the main focus is to get out and play. You know, the stuff. We'll get the album done and then we'll go out and and uh, actually perform it because there was a. Uh, there's been a couple versions of One Nation. Our, my first version was with um, Sonny Emery and J.B. Collier from from uh, Bruce Hornsby's band. Mm. Uh, um, Sonny's the drummer for Steely Dan, and he was with Earth, Wind & Fire as well. So there's a connection there. 
Um, and then we had Jamie Glazer from Chick Korea's and a lot of other people, Manhattan Transfer, and he's just an unbelievable guitar player, too. So, so it um, segued into this new band because we're already playing together anyway in John's band. And, uh, and Billy Ashbaugh, the drummer, is also in the Moody Blues with me. So it's kind of one of those, those things, you know, mm-hmm. family. Exactly, yeah. Speaking of, yeah. of John Lodge, um, he's got the new music coming out. In fact, I think I saw the, the, the press release just came out. At least I saw it just literally the other day. The sun yeah. will shine on coming up on the 30th. So what's that, two and a half weeks from now is coming out? Right. Um, all right, okay. Were you, he's got, what, a, is it a full album coming out later this year as well? Um, yeah. The, so I finished co-producing that um, oh, I, about a month ago. Okay. And then... I also worked on the the live the Royal Affair live um, stuff, which is we did a tour in 2019 mm-hmm. with um, Yes Asia and Carl Palmer's uh, ELP experience. So that was a great tour, and uh, the summer it was the summer of, of 2019, and so that's that recording will be the live um, show with additional songs as well as uh, three three more songs that uh, John wrote during the COVID pandemic thing. And then um, then I worked on those and, and got that done. And so that's all going to be released in, I believe, in the summer, right? Nice. Oh, that that's good to hear. Because yeah. I got a, I got a chance to do a brief interview with John Lodge last summer when he came out with that isolation mix of In These Crazy Times. Is that one of the songs yeah. coming out? That will be on there as well, yeah. Between cool. that and The Sun Will Shine, what musically are we going to be hearing from the new tracks? So those are the, the new tracks you've heard. Um, the first one, The Sun... Will Shine is a is a very John type song, um, kind of going along the lines of, of uh, "Isn't Life Strange" or or something like that, um, which is one of his big ones in, back in the day. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the the live stuff from Royal Affair is um, all like a lot of John songs, a lot of the Moody Blues songs. We we do um, "Legend of the Mind," which is a tribute to Ray. And we also do, um, I b- believe that there is all, well, all of John's hits are on there. And, and it will, and it's pretty much cu- a, kind of a, a moody blues type, uh, set, set list basically, but mostly John songs. Cool. What, or how would you describe the, the chemistry, the interactivity, the creation of of music, but but like in an onstage setting, especially of the Moody Blues and the, and the years you've worked with them, knowing Justin Hayward going further back now, work and working with John Lodge now, and with the band in total. From your perspective, playing keyboards in the band and getting really integrated with them, to describe for an outsider, folks like me that love the music, how would you describe? how the band works together and how that music 
came together now that you actually have to channel it out and play it out for the people in an audience? <laughs> well, actually, it's it's a seamless type thing. Um, when I joined in 2010, um, we went right on tour. I mean, I had uh, basically a sound check to get acclimated, <laughs> acclimated to to it, and off we went. And it's um, it's a really great band and, and guys crew, everybody to be involved with. Um, it's it's uh, you know, very good, you know, high musicianship, great songs, um, a lot of nice stuff for me to do because the keyboards, there's, there's lots of orchestration and, and things like that. And, and of course, the Moody Blues fans are, are the best and just um, super to play for. So I, I got to know a lot of them by name. And, you know, you play so, so much around the world and, and a lot of them will come to shows wherever you are so the the whole Moody blues thing is just a that's just uh it's just a super thing to be involved with so really appreciated of that of the keyboard parts you you mentioned the exceptional element of keyboards in in their work and there were two distinct eras i mean there's the classic era with mike pinder obviously then there's the patrick moraz era and there was there was more of a synthesizer and of course you know the technology changed as well as the mellotron era there's more of a synth era as well um what are your most over over the years playing all the music that you you have and of course there's a certain number of hits that are going to be played which do you find the most challenging to play which ones were the most like okay i got to delve into this and maybe became really rewarding once you got the whatever part kind of came out as you were able to translate that on stage well yeah it's interesting that's a good question actually um mike pinder's um stuff which i i know mike and and got to meet him and stuff and we we worked together a little bit on one uh, project um his stuff is very melodic very creative perfect for the songs um not not a lot of extra stuff he played what was was great for the song and made it and actually enhanced well just like in night's white satin the the mellotron part that he you know that part is a, a real important part of that song so that's that's really neat as a keyboard player you know that you know, someone that's when you're working with people to come up with parts that really make a difference. Um, and then, of course, Patrick Mraz's stuff is obviously more notes, more complicated, <laughs> <laughs> and um, more sounds because at that time that was synthesizer. You know, they were just coming in, and he had just about every synthesizer you can think of, <laughs> and and so there's. That's definitely, um, those were, there's some challenging stuff on there, and, and he was a great keyboard player as well. So, so um, yeah, totally two different kinds of animals there. Uh, when you have, and musically, actually, musically, it changed quite a bit, too. So, as different production techniques took, you know, took hold, like, with drums, drum machines and all that kind of thing and the, and the same thing happened with Earth, Wind & Fire mm-hmm. so it's it was a really 
interesting to be a part of that because certain radio kind of dict- dictates some some of this as they like the sounds of something and then something else will come along and you have sounds like that. So um, at that time, that's what that's what was happening. And um, so yeah, so 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 different different strokes for different folks, I guess. And some people like the the newer stuff, and some people like the older stuff. But I think if they if um, they probably hadn't heard the older stuff and discovered it, then they would realize, you know, how important that music is. Yeah, I remember seeing like the 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 voice video and the Gemini Dream video, and seeing Patrick Mraz like running from keyboard to keyboard. The classic nineteen eighties stacks yeah. of keyboards all over the place. I was like, ah, everywhere. He's playing yeah. something here and there. But it looks so fun. Like, okay, run over here, play this. Run over here, play this. It must be a beast to try to tour with anything like that. Um, yeah, and of course, the guitar, well, you know, uh, Moody Blues has a crew of 30 plus. So, um, you know, it's it's a it's a big, big ordeal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's, you know, we all have, I have my keyboard tech and everybody's got their, their own tech and you know we have lighting and sound and video all the things that you have to carry with and all the you know the, the other people the, the people that go up and string the lighting and <laughs> truck drivers and the bus drivers so it's, yeah it's quite a quite a big entourage that, that has to move around what is your all-time favorite keyboard to have played hmm well i i really like the yamaha motif um, because I've been on it for a long time, and, you know, through its different changes, and it's just a real workhorse. I love the Kronos. Um, I'm sponsored by them as well as Yamaha, and I love Hammond, you know, the B3s and that kind of stuff as well. And But my favorite is just good old acoustic piano. Mm. That's my favorite. It's a solid one. I was I was going to say, and by the way, piano is a totally acceptable answer if that's what it is. Then then go with that. Do you have a favorite brand of piano to play? Um, well, mine's a Young Chang, but of course, I like the Yamaha C C nine C seven. Those are those are really they they're really nice and crisp. Um, Steinways too. Certain Steinways uh, they're all different. So it's uh, you know like when you go and play in a studio, they're They'll either have something that you really like, or there's something. Oh, this is kind of dull sounding. So, so yeah, you just never know what you're going to get. But I, Yamaha's seem to be always consistent. Mm. Speaking of um, keyboards, Chick Corea we lost in February. I quite honestly, I, I was a little surprised that it didn't get more attention than than it it did, considering how utterly. I mean, trying to put in words is legendary nature i've always thought extremely highly of him and you mentioned the the influence of return to forever what is there any particular either i mean with all of his projects you could name whichever collaboration whatever but whichever song or songs in which he had a significant role or what there was a particular part of his or whatever was most influential in your musical development yeah, I yeah, it's uh, his. He's legendary, obviously, and we're gonna miss him. Um, we, I love um, a song called 500 Miles High," mm-hmm. and 
that was his first kind of, well, it was more of a Latin type thing, and it was with uh, Flora Purim was a singer. And then, um, then he, then he got returned to forever, the the rock, more of a rock version, and that, I really loved that. That was what blew my mind because um, at that time I was the drummer, so Lenny White was the drummer, and I just oh, I went to see him, and I, just, you know, it's like, <clears throat> <laughs> and, and from that point on, that was really I was just so focused on that that kind of stuff, and that's why I ended up going to Berkeley uh, College of Music to. to basically study jazz and stuff like that um so yeah i think romantic warrior um if anybody wants to check that out uh al Miola, stanley clark lenny white and of course chick korea you can't uh you can't beat that stuff yeah i remember delving into some return to forever about a decade ago and just being flabbergasted by by what i was hearing what i mean how would if you can tangibly describe to anyone who who may be listening now to this interview and going, okay, yeah, I've heard of Chick Corea, I've heard of a couple couple of songs. What is the certain essence of his playing that is unique to him? How could you describe that to someone where it's not it's not take any other jazz pianist. You're Oscar Petersons, you're Herbie Hancock's you want to go more contemporary, go back in time, go Thelonious, any, any direction. How would you describe Chick Corea from from your interpretation? Yeah, don't forget McCoy Tyner. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, um, the fluidity of his playing and kind of the originality uh, of it and all, all, of the, all of the things that he brought from his you know inspirations of different music and I really like how he really incorporated the Latin um, vibe into his stuff but the when you go to you know listen to him on the record is one thing but if if you were ever to go and see them live as is any good band when you see them live that's what really just sinks the amazing talent into you I mean to to see them play and how tight and um, you know just great mm-hmm. <laughs> and and fast they're so fast and perfect the way they play so so it's all those things and just the wonderful melodic content that he I I like you know things that are melodic you, you know I like Miles Davis and I like all that stuff too but there's you know I kind of I sway more towards something that's a little more structured and and that's what was cool about chick stuff there was there was um, lots of soloing but it would always get back to the main theme and 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 you know progress and develop and, and and do like that you know so that's that's one of the best things about him you know i like keith jarrett you know, mccoy tyner was i love his stuff too and and uh so there's there's a lot of great people, you know. It's amazing um, all the all the talent that's out there, and there's a lot of great new people too. So it's nice that music is continuing. Well, and on that note, who would you say? And I always like to ask this of of artists who've established themselves in a career, and I like to say, okay, so what? Who's influencing you now, or who's currently out there we should pay attention to? Because you know, if, if if someone's established a career, they probably know what they're talking about. So. 
who are some of the some of the younger names we should be paying attention to who are going to establish a good career of their own? Well, yeah, I like that band Snarky Puppy. They're they're good, really good band. Um, there and there's there's a ton of them, but I just <laughs> I can't think of some of them. You know, I'm kind of still love the things that I grew up with it, that and try to embellish on those those things a little bit, you know, and, and bring them into more of today type thing. Um, so those are the things I really kind of focus on. And then that's, of course, a lot what, what comes into me when I'm writing. It's, it's um, those experiences. But there, there are many good um, new artists out there. Um, I would say there's a little bit of um, for for a lot of the pop stuff, there's a little bit lack of attention to detail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. but and that's of course, I think in any a lot of the things that are happening, there's just a lack of attention to detail. But but other than that, it's all pretty cool. Uh, there was plenty of detail in the work of Earth, Wind, and Fire. You cited them before. What did what did you learn from collaborating with Maurice White and the folks from Earth, Wind, and Fire? Yeah, that was a it's a great experience, and he was a mentor for sure. Um, my friend Paul Klingberg, who was their engineer mixer, um, we he came from Chicago first, and then I came second, and um, and we started working with them, and he had been with them a couple of years. And so basically everything, um, how to, you know, put a good record together, how to, to, to um, you know, produce a record, because I co-produced many, um, many things with him, and that involves not just the music part, but the business part of it, and arranging the song so the singer can sing it in their key and not the key that you want and <laughs> make it comfortable. But sometimes the singers were, were the weak link, um, not Earth, Wind & Fire singers, but singers that we were producing that were doing Earth, Wind & Fire songs. Um, and just all that stuff that comes into play, I ended up um, having my studio in their studio. They had a nice big studio in Santa Monica, and my studio was... was attached right next door to the big one so so we got to work together a lot and then i do my own projects there as well and and um just he was just a super guy to work for great um had so many great ideas and and what a nice nice man Hmm. what what earth wind and fire projects what songs slash albums did did you work on in particular uh, I worked on a lot of them I worked on the probably the biggest one is their greatest hits because at that time what we were doing is um, we were making these mixes mega mixes they were called and so it was like a 12 minute version of of their hits and so what I would do is we didn't really sample the stuff that that time that was just kind of coming in so um i would re- 
reproduce everything and then um you know use some of their their horn sections and their vocals and things and just basically recreate songs and um you know that would be basically the single for the album um and and that that record was multi-platinum i, I don't know how many so i think it was over three million so that was one of the really cool things but i worked on just about all of their late records either playing keyboards or doing you know some something on each one of them and then we also did one with beyonce um which we did a song called burning bush on that one and that was had several other artists on it as well okay but that was a yeah and then and then probably 20 records for Japan labels, uh, Atlantic, Columbia, over there, that they loved Earth, Wind, and Fire music. So each one of those, I'd recreate all of the music for those, too. And that's another band that had a legendary keyboardist, Larry Dunn, um, who had been, what, I think he had left in the mid-'80s, correct me if I'm wrong, early to mid-'80s uh-huh. was, was his last last time in the band. By the time you're working with them, do you... Do you sense the DNA of the former members? And I know a lot, a lot of them who from the from the quote unquote classic time mid seventies to early eighties were, were not there. Not a lot of them, but then there were a lot who obviously still were in there. Did you sense any of the DNA of all those other musicians still kind of flowing through the band through all its iterations by the time you were starting to work with them more? Well, yeah, they had a, they had a whole new band, and most of them were from Atlanta, um, and all really good players um sheldon reynolds was a guitar player he was from uh, um, I, th- I believe he's from portland um later went on to m- marry Jimi hendrix's daughter <laughs> um so, <laughs> but uh but uh i worked with him a lot and you have to realize that with earth wind and fire it's it's two different entities so there's the live ent- entity which goes out and plays live and then there's the recording entity this is when i was there you know so Maurice was in charge of doing all the records because at that time he had his um, illness that he had was just starting to take effect, so he wasn't able to really go out and tour anymore. Um, he had he had uh, Parkinson's really bad, so um, so we would produce the records, not so much, not as not as much as the Earth Wind and Fire stuff, but all the other things, and then some of the Earth Wind and Fire stuff he was involved with all of that, so. Um, so there's, it's, it's kind of like a, he would bring the horns in for one thing and bring, you know, you know, his, his brother in, you know, play bass and, um, you know, Verdine is his brother. Mm -hmm. And, and then a lot of times at that time, see the drums were programmed a lot of them. So, so that's kind of stuff that I was doing. And, um, and then later on the, you know, it's just one of those phases when there was phases where drum machines were real popular, and then they got very unpopular, and then they went to the thing. But with R&B, of course, there's a lot of different types of drum machines in those. You know, you sometimes you want to go really small, and that would be like like a Roland 909 or 808 machines, and then you want to go bigger with other types of, of drum machines, or then add drums on top of that. So, so it gets it gets layered in there and Maurice was the master of layering music because we would do the vocals would have 
oh, we would do sometimes eight tracks on the lead vocal um, <laughs> and just layer it. And those, that's how you get that really thick sound. Wow. So it's, it's interesting, really uh, quite a learning thing for me yeah. when I was doing it. On the, on the topic of drum programming, <laughs> drum machines and such, do you, do you find there's a certain level of of programmed drums that work that work well to play with? Like you mentioned, there's there's different types. There's obviously the the classic drum machine, with you going at the boom, going to the early sound, all the way to the contemporary. You can't tell that something is programmed. It sounds like a live drum part, and of course, the sounds have gotten so good that to the untrained ear, we're like, oh, that's live, and it's not. Um, yeah. But then, of course, there's working with a real drummer, which is a whole which is completely different. Of the programmed versions, is there a certain style of, I'll just call it artificial drummer, that you prefer to work with when you do composing? Well, yeah. Now I use, um, I usually use um, slate dr- drums, and those are, um, those are pretty much. I like them the best. There's superior drummer, and and basically they are drum kits that you actually set up the kit, and you know you. What I do personally is I play them uh, with a trigger um, pad, and I used to use the Roland drum kit, but I find it's just as easy to do it with the with the pad, and then, and I have a little kick, you know, a kick pedal and a hi hat, so. I play them basically like that, um, and really nobody. You're right. Nobody would know their drums, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> so I always like that. I like to have. Um, I usually have Billy do the drums over almost all the time, and he adds all the cool stuff to it because he's such a technically great drummer. Um, he can play to the click. You know, that, that's about it we put a click in there for people that don't understand to to have the tempo and you can set that click to do anything you want to you can you can have that click slow down or go go faster during a song um to any tempo you want and the art of playing with a click is is the real art because some people just can't do it and um with uh Good drummers, what they do is they can use that click as a guide, and then they can go on the underside of it or the overside of it, in other words, faster or slower, during the song if it needs to do that. And um, that's, what's, that's what makes it sound the way it's supposed to sound. Um, that, you know, if, if, if the, the drums are just all the way through, I mean, it's going to be boring. Right. So, so, so yeah. It's all these the things that go into making, um, you know, a song are really that's the fun part because there's so many choices. And same with keyboards. You know, there's um, I use a lot of soft synths, which would be, um, you know, software synths because the sounds are just so great. Uh, and but there's so many sounds to pick from, so you get so you know your favorites and and you know you know that's how you create these songs you know you just kind of start out experimenting sometimes what happens to me is i 
get up at three in the morning because I have a song in my head, and so I have to immediately I go to the studio and then I sing it into the into the recorder, and and so I don't forget it because for sure I forget it <laughs> when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> classic thing happens all the yeah. all the time. Yep, yep, yep. That I mean, how many how many classic songs are only there because someone quick whoop, quick record it down and and it and it sticks. Otherwise, I mean, sometimes. I I'll hear a melody come in my head and I'm like, oh, I should write, but I'm so sleepy. I just want to stay in bed. And of course, a few minutes I wake up yeah. later. I'm like, I have no idea what it was. And it sounded so good in my head, but it would, you know, if you don't put it down, it's gone. So, Luke, are you a keyboard player? A little bit. I mean, I play a little bit of piano. I play a little bit of of keyboard. Um, my I'd mentioned my mom earlier. She's like a classically trained pianist, so she's got a grand piano at home. And I should. Yeah. I, Practice, and I know you've talked about this in your interviews. That practice is one of the biggest things. That is my Achilles heel. I, I can't. Oh my gosh, it is such a struggle to practice. But I, I will still play piano. Still play some basic, like you know, your Chopin, your Debussy, your your Mozart, like the basic hey. stuff. Nothing too complicated. Not list. I mean, come on, not happening. But yeah, that. But yeah, I, that's I, great. Yeah, I know. And that's the thing. Like I so wish. I could translate more of what I hear in my head to that because my skill level is just not there. So anyone who can who can translate that, they can hear something and put that. That's admire that skill greatly because that's how. So you get the good music. Yeah, no, it's it's really not, and you know I think the when I say practice, 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 I know I've, I've said that in a few things. Um, there's different ways to practice too. You know, it isn't always just doing scales or things like that. But a lot of guys use, you know, certain songs to, to practice to or certain, their own um, kind of scale that they came up with. Like, like for instance, uh, the guy from Kansas, the, you know, that wrote Dust in the Wind, that was a, basically a, a guitar scale, you know, exercise that he was working on. Mm. So... So you never know one of those exercises may turn into a song. That's a that's a that's a fairly good point, actually. And speaking of yeah. creating songs, it's obviously the legendary Cherry Pie story, and I, and I wanted to go more into the the particular songwriting of this. You talked about how you got hooked up with Janie Lane to to write the song because they needed the song at the last minute to to put that on the album, and it took what was it like twenty thirty minutes, something like like that. So I yeah. what I'm curious about is. That period, when you sit down, you have to write this song that, like, everybody knows now, but you're writing this a little bit under the gun. You kind of have to put this put this together. Describe that 20 to 30-minute stretch, and how does that how did the song itself come up between you and Janie Lane? Well, since you know most of the free story, so, so basically the label needed a, a, a hit, and they didn't feel that they had it on their on the record already so um our managers were we had the same manager and and um he said you know alan janey's coming down to work with you You guys get you guys need to write a hit song (laughs) (laughs) yeah so so that's what that's how how it originated um he had some ideas the problem is he didn't bring his guitar with him Uh, so i had to borrow one from a neighbor friend that i knew had one um, and and so he played a little kind of a riff thing, and he had an idea of the vocals that he wanted to put on there as well. So we we messed around with that, and then most of those lines, you know, do 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 do
mm-hmm. um, were things that we came up with to make it interesting, and the bridge we wrote and together, and then I basically put all of it together because um, I've, I mean, I've been on, um, I use Cubase, which is a uh, digital audio workstation platform, um, and I've been on it for I don't know how many how long, but it, since it started, so it's like a second instrument to me. So, so basically, I can capture things very fast, uh, and so that's what we did. We just basically kind of put that together. There was some um, guidance for the label. You know, they really like love in an elevator, and a lot of those type of songs were happening at that time. Um, I was also working with Fee Waybill from the Tubes, mm-hmm. and I think they had just uh, they either just put "She's a Beauty" out, or 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 it was coming out. And so, a lot of those songs that were a little bit more um, guitar riff driven, um, but with some kind of hooky vocal, were were the in thing at that time. So. Mm-hmm. So when it got finished, then we went up to the studio, which um, Bo Hill uh, was waiting there with the rest of the band, because there was a time frame to get this record done. And um, I took everything from the computer, we put it down, um, then had did uh, everybody put their own parts down. The drummer came in, did his bass player, and the guitar players. And at that time, um, Mike Schlamer was was doing a lot of the guitars um, as well as the other guys, you know, for that record. So so that's basically what happened, and I did the... Did, there was really not a whole lot of keys on that, but so it was mostly all of the the other things that were, you know, had got done. There's a case where that was started on, the, you know, with drums, um, drum machine too, because that's that's how we were writing it so oh, wow. we ended up putting real drums on it so so yeah so that's uh that's how that song happened and then they went to the next day it was done and it went to the um label the next day and they loved it and of course that was the whole concept for the record huh absolutely fascinating Funny how things are going exactly do you happen to have the demo still around, or is that floating out there somewhere from that? From that, uh, it's probably floating out there or someplace. I have the, all the the ROMs, the, you know, the the CD ROMs and and um, stuff disc from that oh, session wow. because. But back then, that was a, uh, on an Atari, um, and it, you know, you, you use these these discs that really couldn't. I, I don't even know how much. I don't think they could take more than three meg or something like that. But it was a really small <laughs> amount of information. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I don't. You know, and Janie, of course, has passed away. So um, everybody else owns. You know, the song's gone on to the family, and who knows where everything is. Wow. But still, it's just that it's an incredible that all the, it's that it's that common story of song needed at the last minute and that becomes the big hit i find that all the time on the station i station i work i work in a classic hits radio station so it's like 70s yeah. 80s pop rock and 
time and time again, I'll look up, okay, was there a little nugget I could talk about this song? And it's always, hey, the label needed one more song. And that's the one that becomes the big smash number one hit iconic song for the artist. It, it, have you found that with anything else you've worked on that it's another one of those, oh, we just need something, bam, that becomes the big hit. Have you found that with anything else you've worked on in your career? I can't think of offhand, but it does happen frequently, like you said. Um, with me, I usually, some, usually it's the first song. It's not, not that it would be the first song, but um, but who knows? Yeah, that's that's one of those things. Yeah, well, you know, back in the day too, the labels, you know, were very instrumental. They would they were involved in the projects and. You know, and sometimes good, sometimes bad. Um, but but if, if it was somebody that they believed in, that they would try to help you know things along. And really, I don't know. If, I don't believe that happens too much anymore. But um, but there, you know, in the promotion departments and the marketing departments, all would all be involved as well. Saying, well, you know, I don't think I can get this on the radio or um, or or yeah, that's that's killer. Let's do that. So, yeah. So that is rare nowadays. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> the industry does evolve. Uh, last question for you: of all of the music you have composed, and in a whole, obviously your disc, your your list is varied widely. But which which work of yours is most special to you that you've composed throughout your career? Mm-hmm. Well, as far as album, I would say um, until this new One Nation comes out, the first one, Evolution, mm-hmm. One Nation, that was really pretty much my own favorite album. Um, I, a lot of the things I like are the things I did for film and TV, mostly films, you know. Um, so there's a movie called Swimming Upstream and uh, with Jeffrey Rush and Judy Davis, and that I had, you know, quite a few pieces of music on that. I really like that. Um, I like I like orchestration, so I I like things that have a lot of depth to them and and that you know move move you. With with music, as you know, it's a little bit easier to move people with 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 vocals, but it's a little harder to move them with just music. So, if you can, when there's a piece of music that actually moves you with just the music alone, that's you've you've done a you've done your job. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's <laughs> you know, Luke, there's too many to pick. <laughs> I have so much stuff. I can't even, I have to look at it to think of it all, because once I do it, it's gone. I mean, I, I have to clear my head because there's just too much music going on in there. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's it, a, I have to go back and relearn my songs to play them, because, I, you know, it's, it's like a lot of people think, oh, you you, you can play one of, uh, well, I have to go back and learn it. You know, I don't remember everything I've done. I've got probably about 4,000 songs that <laughs> don't have no idea what some of them are. That's a lot of music. It's a lot of music. I don't blame you. I mean, it's a lot of parts to try to try to to try to capture. But you, but you're doing the important stuff, and that that's good. And you got new music coming out as well. So, 
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's it. I was agreeing with you. Yeah, it, so it, well, and I mean, congrats on the on the Grammy nomination. I, you know, there's the whole question of how how does one win a Grammy, but getting a nod is still something. So there's a lot going on with you and with the new album coming out called 2021 later this summer from Alan Hewitt and One Nation. The two songs are already out. I encourage anyone to give a listen to those and the whole album when it comes out. Uh, later on this year, so we're one nation, one step closer, and of course, John Lodge's new music coming out really soon. So there's a lot of projects you're involved with. Uh, wow, just keep keep on keeping on. This is great. This has been an education talking to you for the, the last three quarters of an hour. This has been a really fun chat. So thank you very much for doing what you do, Alan. And thank you, and thanks for having me on. And for anybody that wants to check us out, it's Alan Hewitt and One Nation dot com. Cool. Spelled out. You got to spell out the end. So Alan Hewitt and One Nation dot com. Pretty much everything is on there, and then that also probably will lead you to some of the other things that that Luke was talking about. So and hopefully we'll be up your way to play. That would be awesome. We'll look Come forward to this. hopefully seeing you around Western Wisconsin, Eastern Minnesota territory at, at some point soon. We get these live shows going again. So thank you so much, Alan, for taking time to chat uh, with us today, and we'll we'll see you around. Take care. Okay. Thanks a lot, Luke. Bye-bye. Alan Hewitt, uh, yeah, wow, he has done so much in the keyboard and so much array- so so much with music, period. That's the best way to put it. So, so much. Uh, he mentioned the website, alanhewittandonenation.com. alanhewittandonenation.com, H-E-W-I-T-T. Uh, he does have his own website, alanhewitt.com, but like he mentioned, alanhewittandonenation.com, with the album coming out later this year called 2021, coming later in 2021. This has been the latest edition of Got Time for a Quick Story. Thanks, as always, to my employer, Greatest Hits 98.1 Radio in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, for providing the facilities to do these interviews. Um, thanks to Melissa for helping to set this up. Uh, she's helped set up a lot of the interviews that that I've done as well. Speaking of Greatest Hits 98.1, got to plug my station's website as well because that's where you can listen to a lot of these interviews. Greatest Hits 98.1.com. Greatest Hits, then the numbers, 98.1.com. Look for interviews right under Features, the top of the page, so you can listen to a lot of the interviews we've done. Uh, Phone interviews like this one, Zoom interviews as well, so you can watch some of them. We also have these interviews, a lot of them, on our YouTube channel as well for Greatest Hits 98.1. Also, this podcast, Got Time for a Quick Story, find it on a lot of the usual podcast channels, uh, platforms, I should say. Subscribe to it so you find out about new episodes and rate it preferably higher so more people learn about this podcast. Got Time for a Quick Story. I'm Luke Anthony.